Uh, we're so glad that you guys are, are with us today. If you're watching online, Palm Bay, DeLand, uh, we're very happy to have you here as well. Uh, if you're a guest, we're, we're glad you're here. Let me talk just a little bit about Easter, okay? Uh, this Friday is our Easter Gala. This is the big event for families, for children. This place will be totally transformed. The entire building uh, will be uh, all about uh, Jesus and eggs. The gospel is going to be presented through this beautiful program that our children's ministry has put together. Uh, your kids are going to be blessed. Invite your friends. And then on Easter weekend, two weeks from now, we're going to add a service. We're going to add a 4.30 service on Saturday. Now... This is the largest service we have. So I'm asking for about 100 of you to move over to either 4.30 or 6.30 on Saturday night to make room for our guests that are going to come. And we'll get into that in the sermon about how this all plays out in our idea of servanthood, okay? But we really need you to do that. There's cards out in the lobby to invite your friends. We want you to, to uh, again, even if people don't go to church, Easter and Christmas is a good time maybe to get people started back to church, okay? All right? You're wondering why? I was asked, <clears throat> I was asked a couple weeks ago, you know, we see... We see all the hipsters up on stage, young and old, all right, and they've all got tattoos. Joe, four of your five children have tattoos. Yeah, I know. I know. And they said, do you have a tattoo? And my wife was here last night, so she was able to verify this, okay? Listen, I just want you to know you do not put a bumper sticker on a Ferrari, That's all that effort for that. But, um, all right. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 6 today. And a friend of mine out in Oklahoma posted something really cool on his Facebook page. He, <clears throat> he's a farmer and he does a bunch of other stuff. And if, uh, if you don't speak Oklahoma or Missouri, uh, you may struggle with this, but his, he puts a picture of his four-wheel drive truck. It's probably $60,000, and it is just buried. He's got it up to, the, up to the hubs, can't get it out, and he's looking for farming equipment to pull it out. But this is the quote that he said. He said, you'll never get stuck if you ain't doing nothing. Now, if you don't speak Missouri and Oklahoma, I can translate that for you. Uh, <clears throat> but I read that, and I was like, what a statement for the church. What a statement for us as individual Christians. I know a lot of people that aren't stuck. I also know a lot of people that aren't doing anything for the kingdom. No churches are being planted. No souls are being saved. Nobody's being invited. Nobody's being prayed to. But, oh man, do we have a sweet spirit in church. Can I tell you, nowhere in Scripture are we told to have a sweet spirit. That's not what we're here to do. Now, that's a byproduct of being a Christian. But the church has a purpose. The church is to worship Jesus and to rescue as many people as we possibly can out of this world and get them into heaven. Will somebody tell me yes? So, if you're doing what God wants you to do, there's times when you are going to get stuck. Just going to happen. Because you're out in the mud. And when you're out in the mud of this world, there's times you're going to go, well, this didn't work right. And that didn't turn out the way I'd hoped. And I've been working with this guy for three years, and I still haven't gotten anywhere. And I just feel stuck. Yeah, when you do stuff, sometimes you get stuck. 
And that's okay. Because at least you know you were attempting something great. And that's, that's really what the church of Jesus is all about. Now, in Acts 6, we've come off, last week Pastor Cord did an incredible job talking about the persecution of the church. And that Peter and John were arrested for a second time, and this time they whipped them. 39 lashes. All right, now don't think about your daddy's lashes. We're talking about ripping skin and flesh and, and tendons, and it would have been ugly. There's blood flying, and they left that place rejoicing that they got to suffer for the cause of Christ. And then they went back and went out and started sharing the gospel of Jesus even more. But then the church runs into a problem here in Acts 6. If you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we'll take a look at seven verses. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, a better word there is multiply. That's what the text says. When the number of Christians was multiplying, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So one group of widows was getting groceries and the other was not. That's what this whole thing's about. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together, rounded up the whole church, and they had a meeting and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God did what? It spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied rapidly. And a large number of even the priests became obedient to the faith. Father, I pray that as we take a look at this word, we would get a handle today on what it means to be a servant. God, open our hearts, our heads, our minds to remind us that we have the privilege of serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So out in the lobby, there's a bunch of tables. You might have saw them when you came in. Uh, They're still going to be there when you go out. Um, And we need a number of servants. There are tables for the production crew, which is cameras and lights and sound and things like that. We need help in our cafe. We need help in our thrift store, the children's ministry. And then we also have a table where we have our, our care ministries, which is divorce care and grief share and celebrate recovery, people dealing with addictions and hang-ups and such. Uh, We've got all these things there, and we encourage you to go out and to be a part of this. Because here's the fundamental thing, and this is the core of everything I'm going to say. There's always been in the church a sense of hierarchy. And I guess it just comes with man, okay? Okay. you know, even in the early times, you've got the disciples, and even though they don't, I think, foster this, it's like, well, here's the disciples, and then here's everybody else. And here's the priest, and here's everybody else. Here's the pope, and here's everybody else. Here's the pastor, and here's everybody else. Listen, here's the deal. The church is very simple. 
There is a Savior. He's God in the flesh. His name was Jesus. Everybody else is a servant. There's no hierarchy. There is, there, there is no... There, there's nowhere else to go. So one of the things we do here on our staff, just to let you know, um, because at this level we've become very specialized. And I get, I'm privileged to be able to dedicate a lot of time to the teaching and a lot of time to the missional part of the church because we have specialists. We've got people in charge of Instagram and people in charge of Facebook. And I don't even know what I'm talking about most of the time, but they're awful busy. They're awful busy at those, at those uh, things. Uh, but they, they're gifted at that. And that's fantastic. But once a month, our staff gets together and we pack a thousand pounds of beans and rice and maseka for the poor on the western side of our county and we make sure that food gets distributed. And this is why. Because if, we're ever, if we ever get to the point where we're too good to pack food and deliver it to the poor, we got no business being in leadership. All right? That's, that is the importance of that servant mind, mindset. Now listen, here's the deal. We serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a good gig. All right? This is not like we're serving some brutal master. But let me assure you, all your life you've served something. You've served alcohol. You've served drugs. Take a look at your checkbook. You can find out. You 10% to the church. Man, you used to give 30% to your alcohol addiction, so don't, don't harass me about 10%. Listen, we've all been there. We've all been there. But now we're called to be servants of Jesus. So we start off with the church. And the church, this is the first meeting that a church ever had. And if you grew up in a church with meetings, it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. I've never been to a good church meeting. A lot of great church services. But when the church has a meeting, all it does is allow the troublemakers to come and complain. All right? If you've ever been a part of that. There's guys who haven't been in church in six years, but they'll show up for that meeting. All right? That's why the, local, that's why the modern church struggles so bad. Because the church is not up for opinion. You don't get to vote on doctrine. You don't get to say, well, I don't think we should do this or I think we should do that. No, the Bible's very clear that this is how we do it and this is where we're going to go. So when the early church had a meeting, it only had one purpose. Very pragmatic. What's the purpose? All right. To save souls, we've got to, we've got to devote ourselves to the Word of God and to prayer, but... There's another problem here. In the process, we've got to get some people fed. All right? So both can be done, but they can't be done by one person. We need teams of people who will be able to do things. So the disciples call them together, and they say, look, not that we're above it because they've been doing it. But they said, we've got to build some teams and some structure here because if we're going to have churches in the Philippines and in Kenya and we're going to have a church in Palm Bay and we're going to have a children's ministry and we're going to, if, you, if we're going to have all these things, it can't just be Peter. It's going to take everybody being a part. And again, notice the phrase, what's happening? The church is multiplying. It's multiplying. That's the power of this whole story. And as it multiplies, it needs servants to continue. So you accept Jesus, you repent of your sins, you're baptized. Now you're here. Okay, now I'm a servant. Where do they need me? How do I get involved? And in most churches, that's not what happens. 
In fact, in most churches, this is what happens. I'll get my word right here. The word is sputtle. All right, you ever seen this word? Check it out. To work ineffectively, to be extremely busy whilst achieving absolutely nothing. How many are good at spuddling? Now, it's a 17th century word, but it will work very well in this culture. And I don't know any organization that does spuddling better than the church. Because I talk to people all the time, oh, we're so busy. Doing what? Is anybody getting fed? Is anybody is anybody being prayed with? Is anybody being ministered? I was speaking. I was speaking in St. Louis at my alma mater uh, on Wednesday, and I asked the student body. I said, "How many of the churches you go to are praying for Ukraine?" Okay. I said, "How many of your churches are taking up special offerings for Ukraine?" Like three hands stayed up. I said, "Listen." When a hurricane hits Florida and we get absolutely devastated, pray for me and then bring me some food. And it's like that was a foreign concept. They didn't know what to do with that. There's always a practical side. There's a spiritual side. Yes, we give ourselves to the word and prayer because the goal is to reach more people for Jesus, to snatch them out of this world. Now listen, tirade, all right? If you don't want to hear my tirade, you're welcome to shut me off. Give me five minutes, okay? Do you understand the nightmare you're living in? Satan has pulled out all the stops. All right. You got the fiasco playing out at Disney, the sexual, um, the sexual stuff going on with our kids and all this craziness playing out. Nobody can define what a woman is. Nobody can define what a man is. Nobody can define what marriage is anymore. Uh, the perversion of the trans culture and the, the homosexual culture. And yet in most churches, they still say, well, we just have to love people. Listen, we do love those people. We want them to find Jesus. But if I tell you that how you're living is okay, that it's okay, and pick any sin you want, and you don't repent of that sin, and you go to hell, how is that love? I can make you feel good right now. I sure can. I can make everybody, I can Joel Osteen you if that's what you want. All right? But that is not... I tell you that's not in the notes, but there's no notes, so you, what difference does it make? My job is not to make you feel better. My job is to get us holy, to get us into a right relationship with Jesus. Our culture is in absolute and total moral freefall. What I find fascinating is people that are trying to call out morality on Vladimir Putin, and believe me, horrible, you know, it's tragic. They're trying to call out morality on him. And the same thing in this culture, they've taken morality totally off the table. And if you believe in normal stuff, you're crazy. And who'd have thought that would come from Disney? Like 10 years ago, people were talking about this and everybody said it's a conspiracy theory. And now, because we pointed out we're bigots. Okay. Well, it's all right. Like I said, I've told you two weeks ago, there's nothing I haven't been called in my life unless you can cuss at me in a different language. So I really don't care what anybody thinks of me. My job is to hold up Jesus Christ. And I listen, I don't want to fight with anybody. I am too old to fight with people. I will talk to you. 
I'll answer your questions. I'll explain the Bible to you. But nobody's ever argued somebody into the kingdom of God. All right. I'm just here to tell you that Jesus died for you. Jesus died for everybody. Your sins can be forgiven if you confess them, if you repent of your sins. He will come and cleanse you so that you can start a new life. But guys, the world needs the church. We're the last hope. When Jesus said, will they find faith? Will I find faith when I return to the earth? Well, you're starting to find out why he said that. You're watching the decline and the death of the modern church because the church is walking away from the truth of the Word of God. When a pastor can't get up and have the courage to talk about a man and a woman and to find that, we have lost our way. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I'll tell you what, Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not stand up against it. First 10 years of my Christian life, I was taught and I believed that that was a defensive scripture. Look, there's walls around me and I just stand here like Superman and the gates of hell cannot do anything. It's not what it means. It means that we are an offensive force and the church is to be out rescuing people. Now, I can't tell you whether we'll rescue one or five or ten or fifty, but there are still lost people out there that want to be saved. We just got to get to them. And the next two weeks is going to give us an opportunity to truly put the, put the cards out, invite them. I mean, isn't it interesting in that video? And I know it's funny, but the guy knew what questions to ask. He knew what church was about. He knew about a sermon. He knew about the message. But they never thought to invite him. Look, you can't make anybody believe, but I'm telling you what, if ever the world needed the church of Jesus Christ, it's today. It is today. So the church had a meeting and they said, we've got to stay focused on what? Making disciples. One, one goal, to get people to Jesus Christ, to get them baptized, to get them discipled so they can go out and continue the growth of the church. And because this church did it right, you and I are here today. The question is, will it stop with us? Reagan said, democracy ends in one generation. Well, if you take a look at Christianity in Western Europe, one generation. Fifteen centuries Christianity was a dominant force in England, Scotland, France, North Africa. In one generation, it totally left. Why? Because the Christians said, you know, we're not sure the Bible's the Word of God. We're not sure that Jesus is really the Savior of the world. In fact, in Germany and France, they were saying, we're not sure there was ever a Jesus. Now, that wasn't the world. That was the church. And when the church became of no value, then... There was no reason for anybody to go to church because nobody in church could even tell them how to be saved. That's the tragedy. So we have the church, but then we have the pre-saved. All right, and I want to talk about this just for a minute. Because the church is the only organization on earth that exists for people who hate it. You think about that. Jesus said, you see a guy that's hungry, what do you do? Find out, if, find out if he goes to your church. Find out if he agrees with your doctrine. No. It says give him food. Say if somebody's in prison, what do you do? You go visit him. 
Somebody needs a drink of water, you give them a drink of water. And that's how the church has honestly reached the world throughout history because of the pragmatic way that Jesus set it up, that we go and that we meet those needs that people have. But if we're not, if we're not careful in this, we'll begin to think that the church is about us. <clears throat> it's easy to do. <clears throat> it's easy to say, you know what, this is my church. And I'm going to come here on Easter and those other jokers are going to be in my seat. No, they won't because you're coming at 4.30 on Saturday. <clears throat> because, but again, in, in a normal situation, that's people's attitudes. Listen, well, the, those people only come once a year. You know what? Praise God they came. And maybe if we treat them right and love them, maybe they'll come back twice next year. Maybe we'll make some progress here. But the churches that have that attitude don't reach people. All right? So the church exists for people who right now aren't here. They might even hate us. They would hate a lot of the things I've already said today. But Jesus died for them. And our job is to get them here. Let me, let me tell you my story. All right? How much time I got left? I got time for my story. Okay. So, how many of you have been to the Atlanta airport recently? It's crazy. It just keeps getting bigger. And you go underground, and at some point, I think you're actually in Alabama when you're under, when you're under, the, you're under the city. But I have, I have a unique gift, all right? And I, it makes no sense to me, but because I see, you see up and down these corridors, you know, there's all these gates. I mean, there's 55 gates right there, right? What are the odds of Joe always getting the last gate? I mean, at some point it pushes credulity as to how this might happen. So I fly into Atlanta and I come in and I'm in the last gate in A. And I'm thinking, okay, I flew in from Daytona. I'm only going to St. Louis. So I'm probably going to be, you know, maybe here, right? No, no. no. Not only in F the last gate. Now, it's bizarre because I'm walking down the halls and I'm looking, I'm looking at the signs, Dubai, Greece, Rio. I'm like, I'm in the international terminal. And then all the way down to the end, I see a little sign, St. Louis. But that's the least of it if you've been to Atlanta. So, you get off, you walk all the way down there, then you walk all the way down here, then you go underground. You take the 100-foot escalator going down, you get on a train, the train brings you around, then you get off, you come back up the 100 feet, and then you go all the way down to your gate. Now, do I need to tell you that I was on the last row of the last, in the last seat when I got on the plane? But here's what I, here's my thought. As I'm, I was I was actually laughing as I sat down in my seat because I was on the last seat in the last row of that plane, in the last concourse and the last gate. But you know what? I was on the plane, and you and I have got all kinds of friends and family. They're not on the plane right now. And let me tell you, let me tell you what. Right here is where I like to hang, here in the concourse, because there's a great Chinese restaurant. 
And there's a great barbecue restaurant. All right? There's even vegan options for those of you that are interested. That's not where God called me to be. You know where God called us to be? Down the stairs, on the train, up the stairs, all the way back out here because that's where your friends are. Now, I'm not saying we'd be like them and, and pick up what they're doing. I'm just telling you, if you hang out in the terminal, they're never going to find us. You've got to go find them. Jesus said, go into the world. Yeah. He, I don't know if he knew that Atlanta would be as big as the world by the time we, we got to this. But it just hit me that it's real easy for us to stay in the terminal where it's comfortable and never get out where the people are and reach those. And Peter said, we cannot give up the purpose of the church. Because if they were this close to becoming a social organization, they were this close to saying, you know what, we're going to just run a soup kitchen and we'll pray with the widows. And Peter said, no, we need to feed them. But the ministry of the word of God, prayer, the planning of churches, the sending out of missionaries, all of that has to continue. So you guys focus on this. Now, don't think the seven did it, by the way. The seven didn't do it. They recruited teams who recruited teams who recruited teams. And you and I are here today because they figured this process out. But don't think for a minute that these people weren't godly. The story of Stephen, which you're going to get next week in chapter 7, Stephen arguably gives you the greatest defense of the gospel anywhere in the Bible. He starts with Genesis and he looks the Pharisees in the eyes and he gives them the entire history of Israel in one sermon. And then they kill him. Give you a little, sorry to be a spoiler if you haven't read chapter 7. Uh, so Stephen's not just a soup deliverer. He knows the Word of God. It said we want men who are full of, full of the Word of God, full of the Spirit, who will go out and be game changers. This is so powerful. But then we come to the actual plan. All right? and this is where it involves you and me. All right? Now let's do the first Peter passage. Did I read that? It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into this. All right. What he's talking about is the prophets of old. He said Isaiah would have given anything to understand what we understand. Daniel would have given anything to understand what we understand. But they realized that they weren't serving themselves, they were serving us. And one day it had all come together and it all came together with Jesus. And now our job is to keep serving so that the gospel goes to the next generation. Because if we don't reach the next generation, the church dies with us. And that's what's happening all around us, and that's what we cannot let happen to Tomoka Christian Church. That's why our teen ministry is so important, and our children's ministry is so important, and we need 20 new people to step up. You can, you can help with snacks, you can sing, you can teach. There's so many ways to help in the children's ministry, but the plan is to utilize God's people where they can best be used. Because the servant says, look, I'm here, God. What do you need me to do? See, the 4-H club, other places, they look for volunteers. Man, I hate it when people ask for volunteers. One of the greatest lines I ever had, Ray Lewis, 
Ray Lewis is still serving in ministry here at this church. I thank Ray one day for painting something. I don't remember what it was. He said, Joe, I hate painting. And I would never, ever paint this for you. I said, thank you, Ray. He said, but I would paint it for Jesus. That's the difference in a volunteer and a servant. He understood that what he was doing, whatever it is you're doing, you're doing it for the King of Kings. And that changes everything. Well, how important is what I'm doing? Oh, it's very important. Because whatever part you're playing is helping to advance the ultimate kingdom work. That's what it's about. Now, next week is the uh, Palm Sunday where uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And I love the phrase, you've heard me teach on this for 30 years. I love the phrase where they're, they're praising, they're waving the palm branches. And the Sadducees get very upset. And they said, Jesus, you've got to stop this. They're praising you as if you were God. <laughs> and Jesus said, if they stop praising, the rocks will cry out. Now, I love that. It's a great archaeological thing because archaeology does cry out. But I just want to have some fun with you. I found this out by accident the other day. So if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out. Now watch this. All right. This is free. If you, if you need to sleep, go ahead. All right. These are rocks. I think you recognize those. Um, we'll see how old you are. There's a, a, a Walkman. There's a cassette. Uh, the Discman. You put a CD in there. Uh, what do you call those things? Yeah, sure. Your iPhone. How about speakers? Any speaker you have, whether it's in your house or your car or your phone, everything I just showed you, you want to know what they're made of? Rock. Look it up. <clears throat> it's made out of a combination of cobalt and some other things. But everything that gives speakers into your life is made of rock. That's it's like Jesus just toying with us. If they're quiet, I tell you that even the rocks will cry out. So they came up with a plan. <clears throat> and the plan was not to stop the church growth, not to stop the evangelism, not to stop the church planting, not to stop the prayers, but also not to stop the ministry to the widows. They said, we just need to figure out how to mobilize more people. And so that's what I'm asking you to do today. That you say, you know what, it's my turn to serve. And if you don't find your area out there, you send us an email. We'll get you connected. Or you go to the table. We'll get you connected. Let me finish with this. Here's the theater at Ephesus. All right? This is later on in the book of Acts. Um, Paul's going to be here. And uh, in fact, <clears throat> the place is full and they're screaming. They're screaming so loud to cover Paul up. It's very similar to the crazy screaming that goes on on university campuses today um, that believe in free speech. Um, but they said, Paul, you can't go out there. They'll tear you to pieces. And they would have. The crowd would have killed him. And um, so for once, Paul listened and he decides to wait and preach another day. But I want to take you through the renovation process. So when they found the theater, that's what it looked like about 100 years ago. It's all covered up with garbage and grass and, and all the dirt 
all the stuff that happened in time. And then after they excavated it, it looked like this. Now, I think you know what this is. This is the sin that's piled up on top of all of us. This is your past. This is your bad choices, our bad thoughts, our bad deeds. And then Jesus comes along and clears out all the garbage. And here we are. But listen, this is not what it looked like at the beginning. You want to know what it looked like in the beginning? It was shining white marble. So Jesus takes us from here to here. And when we leave this earth, we get the final coat. And that's when we put on our white robes and we're in the presence of God. So I don't know where you're at today. If you're here, then you need the forgiveness to say, I need Jesus because I need to be restored. I need to go back to that place where I am healthy and forgiven. I need that. You come on over here to the decision table. If you're online, I've decided. Palm Bay to land, go to your pastors. They'll be happy to help you. I don't know where you're at. I just want to remind you today that in the church, we only have one position open, and that's for a servant. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for a reminder of the simplicity of each person giving what they can, doing what they can, being faithful to the call that's on their lives. I have no idea what your spirit's doing. Some need encouragement today. Some need to be in a group. Some need to get discipled so they can go and help somebody else. But everybody's got some decisions to make today. Because the truth is, God, I, I think we'd all rather be king and queen than we would be a servant. But the only position open is that servant one. And so today, we come surrendering to you. In Jesus' name, amen.